This is WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with global soul. Coming up next, Art on the Air, with your host, Rob Hessler. to Art on the Air with your host, Rob Hessler. This is an hour-long interview show dedicated to the visual arts. Each week we interview artists, art writers, art curators, and art advocates about their theory, practice, and current projects, as well as the state of the visual arts. On this week's episode, we welcome Aaron Westling from W Projects into the studio to talk all about public art in and around Savannah. Plus, we've got a field note with Dana Richardson from the Jepson Center. She's been working on a mural project there, and we got all the details. And we spoke with Kate Green and Susie Hokinson about the 25 Million Stitches project and the exhibition On the Line at Friendship Coffee Company. So let's get started with another episode of Art on the Air. Here's your host, Rob Hessler. And this is Rob Hessler. It is Wednesday at 3 o'clock. Art on the Air here on WRUULP. And as you heard in my intro, I've got a great show lined up here today. Of course, I've got Aaron Wessling in the studio with me. How's it going, Aaron? It's going well. How about you? It's going really good. So happy to have Aaron on. I've been obviously promoting this episode for, I don't know, I reached out to you in like early January Mm -hmm. because I really want to make sure I can make that happen. Um, And uh, so we're going to talk a lot about many different things. And then, of course, we'll finish the show with those couple of field notes that I mentioned, Dana Richardson at the Jepson Center and Kate Green and... Susie Hokinson from the Friendship Coffee Company about on the line about the world's refugee crisis, that exhibition. But I'm going to say it right now, Aaron and I are not going to have enough time to talk about everything I want to talk about, but we are going to solve all of Savannah's art problems in the next hour. So get ready for that. Strap in here, people. Get your pen and paper out. Oh take my some goodness. notes. Take some, you better take some notes. Uh, so I want to read Aaron's bio here that she sent over and if you don't know, Aaron, we actually played a panel discussion, the art, the public art panel series, part three, that Christopher Monroe organized from the Cultural Arts Center at the end of last year. And you can find that at the at WRUU.org. You can listen to that in the archives. Part three featured Aaron as one of the guests, and I was really impressed with what she had to say. So I'm really happy to have her on today. And I Right about an hour ago, I shared some of the images 
that uh, projects that she's worked on on the Art on the Air Facebook page. So you can follow along there because we are going to be talking about some of those projects here initially. But let me read her bio here. Again, this week's in-studio guest is CEO and founder of W Projects, Aaron Westling. With over 10 years of experience in public relations, marketing, and branding worldwide, Aaron Westling has cultivated a passion for helping creative individuals and companies reach their full potential and success. In 2015, Erin expanded her freelance business into W Projects, a full-service firm based in Savannah, Georgia. W Projects brings a unique perspective and understanding of how to creatively connect client visions to the public. Erin has co-produced and managed some of the premier events in Savannah, such as Savannah's Night Out and the A-Town Get Down Festival. With W Projects, Erin has led the site activation movement in Savannah, Georgia by producing several site activations and public art installations. Notable projects include Pavement to Parks for CNU 26 Savannah and in collaboration with Judge Realty, Savannah's Masterpiece, Savannah's first eco-friendly moss installation, and Intersection, a light projection installation by artist Will Penny. In support of her community, Erin is active within several community organizations, serving as a board member of Repurpose Savannah, as an allied member of AIA Savannah, and as a member of both NAWIC, the National Women in Construction of Coastal Georgia, and the Society of Women Engineers of the Coastal Empire. Before founding W Projects, Erin held the positions of Marketing Director for South Magazine, Director of Development for Dream Project Foundation, and anti-human trafficking NGO based in Bangkok, Thailand, and assistant director of PR for Intrigue Music in New York City. I will say this now. Welcome officially, Aaron Westling, to Art on the Air. That is that's a, a really That's a bio. <laughs> that is, that a, is bio. a bio. I'm exhausted after reading that. Let's take a break. Uh, no, but that's it's it's exhausted because there is a lot that you've worked on, and we're going to focus on the, the really art-specific parts of that there. And three of the images that I post on the art on their Facebook page were, uh, well, and actually as a cover image too for the Facebook event, I used one of the images from the A-Town Get Down Festival. And we posted up one of Will Penny's images as well today, the masterpiece image uh, from the Judge Realty building. And then probably my favorite of the projects that you have worked on, the CNU 26 collaboration, the Pavement to Parks, which was with the Revival Society, which, and we had, we were talking before we went on the air, Crystal um, Sokolis came on and, and we talked about that back then and she was doing something for Earth Day as well. And mm-hmm. so, uh, so we got to talk about that, but I'm curious, like, how did you get to this place? I mean, you're working on anti-human trafficking in part of your bio here, but now you're doing art advocacy. So let's take some steps back. How did you become... How did you become Aaron Westling of today? Well, thanks for asking, Rob. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, truthfully, uh, as it pertains to how public art and sort of site activation happened, it really was um, more or less happenstance. You know, I had started the company because I was doing freelance work, um, doing PR and copywriting setting up different um, branding and marketing strategies for uh, people here in Savannah. Um, and just, you know, it started to grow so much uh, that I needed to form a company and an LLC mm-hmm. so that I was legal. Um, but why arts? Like, why the arts specifically? I mean, because I think that 
like you said, I mean, you talk about some of the premier events, but you've done them artistically. Like CNU is not an art event, but the way that that was presented, that project, and and some of you might remember that it was in the parking lot of the Civic Center. That was obviously done with a group that is an art group, and it was done artistically. A-Town Get Down is all about various art forms. The stuff with Judge Realty, Masterpiece, and the Will Penny piece, those are very very much art pieces. So like, why art? Well, one, obviously, it's a huge passion of mine, has always been, I actually minored in in art history. So as far as just being, um, you know, someone who finds inspiration uh, in the art world, and then being able to take that inspiration and utilize it in what you do for a living, to me was just something that came quite naturally. So taking any situation or question or or, or project and then trying to think of it in a creative manner and how to utilize the arts, particularly because we have such an incredible amount of talent here um, that really does run the gamut as far as mediums are concerned and how wonderful they are to work with. And really that that I want to say it's 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 quite a dance to work with an artist when you're doing projects, you know, that are outside Um, what have been done before or to the scale in which we Mm -hmm. have done them. And so that collaboration itself is like a drug. I mean, it is so much fun to sit with something, sit with somebody who can see this greater vision almost more so than you, because obviously what's in my head is, you know, grand scale and, you know, I don't even know what I'm, I'm trying to produce. And yet they produce, um, you know, a vision that is almost far greater than than what I could ever think of. Um, and so, you know, you know, in particular with um, Judge Realty, Lori um, had commissioned uh, W Projects to help with her 10-year anniversary that at the time she was celebrating. Um, and, you know, her and I both agree that public art sometimes only is defined um, by murals, which mm-hmm. are incredible and beautiful and, and are a part of the, the public art realm, they are just a small percentage of what actually exists. Um, and so and we're going to talk a lot more about that in particular a little bit later. Yeah. And I'm and, and so the masterpiece came out of that. Now, I mean, it's almost a mural only it's not it's a like, mural at all. It was our way of tiptoeing <laughs> into the more structural concepts of what public art can be, because mm-hmm. obviously we are in a very historic district that has very strict regulations on right. what. So you why do don't you describe what masterpiece is, so that for people who don't know? So it was essentially a, a mural um, that was designed by a local artist. Um, Jamie Bourgeois, who is now in Atlanta, um, who is also very eco-friendly driven as far as everything that she creates. Um, And uh, basically, we wanted to create a mural that was 100% moss. And I had seen um, moss becoming a trend throughout the world in in, in various um, places utilized for public display you know you have living walls you have mm-hmm. you know murals that type of thing and at the time it was just a very new concept um, so I would like to be frank that I had no idea at the time and nobody did about how we were actually going to produce this or you know the study of moss and all its complexities and mm-hmm. then applying it to public art 
Um, and so together, again, with that collaboration, um, it was learning about different moss kinds and how they reacted to different weather. And particularly because this was going to be on the facade of a very sunny building, right. what was going to be that um, transition over the period of time that it was in? So it came became this started as this very green and very beautiful. And then um, moss does not technically die. It goes dormant. Um, and so some of it was actually slightly bleached. Others, um, other portions went a little bit red. So as um, one woman had, had placed it, it was a performance piece by Mother Nature. Oh, I love that. And what I loved term. that. I mean, most people, I think, probably thought, oh, you know, it, it died on the wall. That's That's, you know... It's disgusting. And frankly, I thought it was beautiful. I mean, and again, you know, you're taking somebody who is looking at, you know, a transition of things like most artists, you know, end up doing um, and really appreciating the actual process of it. Um, And so, you know, Judge Realty and Lori Judge in general, just being such a champion of public art and using her building, producing, funding, you name it specifically in the name for educating the public on what public art is, not to be repetitive. And so Mm -hmm. that was really sort of the start of it and trying to think outside of we want to do more than just a mural and and how you go through sort of the hoops and whatnot with the (laughs) city to try and relay that this is a very wonderful, non-intrusive, gorgeous thing to produce. For those of you just joining us, you're listening to Art on the Air on WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. We are Savannah Soundings Community Radio with Global Soul. I am your host, Rob Hessler, and my in-studio guest is W Project's CEO, Aaron Wessling. And I do want to delve a little more into that because, well, first of all, that's a very art way of thinking of things like, Oh, we'll just say, yes, we can do this, and then we'll figure it out later. <laughs> yes. That's basically every art project that I've ever done, at least. So, but the reality is, is that, yeah, you did have to, there are administrative hoops that you have to jump through to get a project, a public art project done. It's not like you're just doing this in your backyard. You can do whatever you want. You have to go through these hoops. And like you said, these weren't in place before. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show to talk about this, because I know that in a lot of these cases, like there is no, there is no structure. You're having to figure that out. So talk a little bit about how you did that. Like actually, cause I, I, I've seen some of these projects go before the board and actually now the historic sites and monuments commission, for example, is made up of, of very art friendly folks mm-hmm. like Christopher Monroe and Lisa Watson and people who are supportive of the arts, but that wasn't always the case. And education is a huge part of that. So how did you kind of make that happen? Well, you said it, education. I mean, it took a lot of research um, and a deeper understanding of how other places produced, you know, what you were trying um, to do, even though, like you said, it's just kind of saying yes and then figuring it out. Um, But it really was working with them um, to kind of get a better understanding how 
you know, the structural integrity of the buildings um, was very much being uh, considered and, and mm-hmm. understood and really creating, I guess, the narrative to how to present these and what information they needed so that they could understand more or less what we were trying to accomplish. Because a lot of what, you know, we have done or I have been lucky to be a part of in the past has not been done in Savannah, um, it, it really is, you know, an open dialogue and the conversation. And I will say that the MPC, they really have always supported, you know, trying to hear everything out and, and mm-hmm. work it into how the regulations are, you know, stipulated as, as it is or and has been for, for years on end. So again, it's it's just kind of the the process of, okay, well, I want to accomplish A, B, and C. How do you feel comfortable or how do you want us to come and present this to you so that you're on the same page as we are, noting that we are taking under consideration everything that, that you do for a living and, and what you mm-hmm, stand for. Mm-hmm. We don't want to necessarily say, you know, forget the system. We're going to do it ourselves. We're not in it for rebellion purposes. We're more or less in it to do it for the greater good of the entire community. Right. Well, and so let's let's delve into that because I've made promises that we were going to solve all of Savannah's art problems today. So here's the here's one of the three topics that I have here, and that's and we'll start with the public art aspect of it because I think one of the things is the good that we have here in Savannah are murals and other temporary installations and I think Masterpiece is a perfect example of that I know you just had a temporary piece go up on the side of the W Projects building Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. which turned out really nice Mm -hmm. the Starland Mural Project as beautiful as it is it's only a temporary project that's the good the bad is any other permanent art any other new permanent art piece it's very difficult to actually make that happen and the process is sort of murky as to how you get permanent art placed anywhere here in Savannah. I think we look at, you know, Jerome Meadows Savannah Gardens installation, which we were talking about before we went on the air, which has sat in his studio space since 2013 without being installed because of fear over vandalism. And so how do we fix that? You mentioned, and Hmm. here's, here's what I want to say, because you, you, when I think this is one of the things, and we've talked about this when it, came to the Starland Mural Project, for example, and I'll use Clinton as an example because he's, I think he did a great job on that. And I think you've done a great job on these projects, but it's somebody who is very determined and has a certain force of will to make the project happen regardless of whatever, you know, roadblocks there are. So that whoever it is, and it's you or in that, in the Starland Mural Project instance, it's Clinton where they figure it out. You figure it out. Right. But it doesn't change the fact that it doesn't change the system in the sense that it's not necessarily easier for the next people that come along because you succeeded at putting up that. So what do we need to change to make public art, particularly long-term public art mm -hmm. projects, a possibility here in Savannah? I mean, we really don't have... um, You know, from the city of Savannah, we don't have a public arts program as it is maybe comparable to other areas of the U.S., areas of the world, et cetera, that Mm -hmm. have um, the same size city as we do. Uh, It just doesn't exist. Um, You know, for the past decade plus, it's been in development and it's trying to, you know, 
gain some ground. Um, but really, as it pertains to larger projects um, of public art um, that are even past murals, it does take private funding. Mm-hmm. And it uh, is not something that has any type of, of low um, monetary cost. It, it, it generally is an investment of time, money, uh, you name it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's aggressive, um, which is also why not a ton of people do it. And, and I think that's a good thing as well, because as you're trying to establish, you know, some core values of, of a system, you, you want to make sure that it's done properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that does take time. And, you know, sometimes you have those people, myself included, that just have this visceral urge to create and, and make something you know, incredible of, of mass scale and size and design and beauty just so that you can share it with the community and those that, that will experience it. It's such a rush. Like I said, it's an addiction. It's a drug. Um, and so I think that because I have also been um, blessed to be able to see it throughout the world mm-hmm. and experience it myself, um, that I know it can be done. Right. That and helps I, so I think much, that's, too. Yeah. That's it. Is I, There's no reason why it can't and so being a rather competitive or (laughs) type a person i just you know with my experience here in savannah i just want to try so i've heard something thrown around and maybe this is part of the answer too is an arts master plan and i'm not entirely sure i even fully understand what that means but i know that during one of the other panels, the, the public arts panels, um, Kirsten Kearney from Chattanooga talked about how they made an arts master plan. And Chattanooga is a great sort of comparison to Savannah because it's a similarly sized southern city that has a robust public arts program. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know exactly what that means, but if it seems to make things easier for them, then how would that work? Like, what is it? What Do you have any sense of well normally it's it's you know as i've seen it um you know throughout like i for example um you do have chattanooga you have um greensboro north carolina which is you know one of the idols as far as the Mm -hmm. size and what they bring in as far as public art is concerned thomasville georgia nailing it like they are you know definitely somebody um Uh, to look up to, but they do have usually something through their cultural and arts center um, that forms, you know, collaborations or or, um, projects with other foundations that are interested in it. And so, I mean, I I definitely don't want to speak to how it should be Let's speak to how it should be formed. (laughs) But you do really need to have sort of the, the support um, and recognition from the city itself uh, in order to help advance that. I mean, it was definitely, I'm sure, an investment um, for all of these other cities, but I, I think that the recognition of the creative economy is something that will actually spur and have a ripple effect for the uh, the rest of the, their, their economies. And so, Again, I, I I don't want to say that, you know, the city should immediately adopt, you know, these, you know, percentage of of income or whatnot from to to public art. 
I'm willing to done. say that. Yeah, I was like, you can say that, but <laughs> I well, still so, have to apply for these things. And what so. what what Aaron is is sort of alluding to is the one percent for the arts, which is it's actually in I guess up in Chattanooga, it's two percent for mm-hmm. the arts, but it's yeah. a percentage of public building projects goes to a fund, which is then distributed to create to do public arts projects. So there Within is. That city. Funding. So let's then move to arts funding because I think that that's a really important. That's actually the most important, probably, ultimately, because going through the system and getting allowed to do a project doesn't happen if you don't have the money to actually make it happen. So let's talk about funding. And I think one of the positives that we do have here in Savannah is Weave a Dream. And Weave a Dream, for those of you who don't know, is sort of a. Um, it's very community oriented, project specific funding. Up to now this year, I'm hearing it's going to be up to $5,000. It's a one-to-one match. So you have to have, you have to raise either $5,000 cash or a 60-40 in-kind cash mix. Mm-hmm. So if you are asking for $10,000, they will give you, Weave a Dream would give you 5000 and you would have to either provide $5,000 in cash some way or I think it's would be a $3,000 in cash and another $2,000 in in-kind donations, or that might be the other way around. I don't have the specifics here, but it's a way to fund projects. Now, it's not for an individual, so those out there listening, you might think, oh, I want to do my project. It's through, It has to be through an, a nonprofit organization or with a tax exemption, mm-hmm. but it's a way that a project can be done, and the Starland Mural Project actually was given a Weaver Dream grant Loop It Up, which is another great arts organization, has gotten a Weaver Dream grant to do projects before. The Gay Pride Parade and all of that event got a Weaver Dream grant. So there's money for these things. And that is, you know, a certain amount. But I think the bad part is that there's no other funding whatsoever. Yeah. And that isn't for any, any individual. So that's only for organizations. And you have to partner with an organization if you're an individual and you want to do a project. And to be honest with you, all of it requ- it has really strict requirements as to needing to meet benchmarks of community activity that, I mean, as an artist, I kind of feel like art for art's sake doesn't necessarily need to. I mean, art is its own benefit is the way that I right. kind of look at it. It doesn't need to have like a, a class, you know, it doesn't have to have like, you know, inspire I don't know. It doesn't. You know what I'm saying. So how do yeah. we how do we expand that? How do we go? Where do we go from there? How do we get to funding? Because you funded a lot of projects. Uh, yes, and really, it's a lot of knocking on doors and trying to find the connection between businesses that this would help or that that have missions and, and visions that that are, you know, similar to yours. Uh, and so you definitely you know, have to navigate through some pretty strange and stormy weather. Um, But again, you find it because you're looking for those organizations and individuals um, that, you know, believe in in what you're trying to produce and want to see it supported. Um, You know, I think that, you know, Weaver Dream is is fantastic. And that's a step in the right direction. Um, but there has to be so much more than that, whether it is from, um, you know, various foundations or, you know, that that from a civic level that there is actually money set aside so that 
um, you know, future projects can be determined by each project. It doesn't necessarily have to have the same stipulations each and every time. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that, and I will say that the the city of Savannah, um, you know, they have uh, Arts and Waters um, yeah. that they're doing uh, this weekend, which I think is fantastic. And it is absolutely the step in the right direction. Um, you know, we've been on teams uh, or, or helped uh, the city of Savannah apply for uh, Bloomberg grants mm. um, for site activation and, and, and public art. Um, we actually have one out now uh, for it. So fingers crossed for you on that. Fingers there. crossed. Yeah. Um, so again, that's a great. You bring up a great point, though. Arts on Waters is a really good. That's another thing too. And I and I and I've brought this up before. Is that you know it doesn't even necessarily have to be money. Money when you're talking about funding, space is important. Mm-hmm. And actually, Arts on Waters provides a stipend for the artist, so mm-hmm. there is actually money. But more than that, it's like. I, I will say I'm one of the artists in Arts on Waters this weekend on Saturday. So myself and my collaborator, Becca Cook, we've been in this space and it's been there for a month. Now, they don't give us keys, but they'll come and open the door. And we've been working in that space for a month. It's almost like a residency and we're getting mm-hmm. paid for it. And it's like and the city owns the space and we're hopefully proving to them that we won't go in there and destroy everything. Right. And I and I think, again, they I think they recognize the importance of it um, and what it means to support uh, the arts really for the advancement of of areas that are underserved or that Mm -hmm. are in need of investment. And I think that art and, you know, creative aspects, like, for example, with our our CNU project, Mm -hmm. you know, we were taking a portion of a parking lot that otherwise was not very pretty to look at. Um, in order to transition it, albeit temporarily, into something else so that people could actually experience it um, on, on so much more of a on-site basis. It's not just something pretty to look at. It's something to use. It's something to have not only your tourists but your general public um, be able to um, really capitalize on. And I think that showing these types of things allows that conversation to expand a bit that, you know, public art can be as, as they call, or as they say, site activation or tactical urbanism. When we started this, I don't think that tactical urbanism or site activation was actually in <laughs> the vocabulary. Yeah, seriously. Uh, and, and so again, these, these things have an evolution. Obviously you want it to be a little bit more supported and happen on a uh, we want it now. Time. We, we want, want it, right it now. now. We've been doing it. We're tired. (laughs) We want it now. Well, for those of you just joining us, you're listening to Art on the Air on WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. We are Savannah Soundings Community Radio with Global Soul. I am Rob Hessler, and our in-studio guest this week is Aaron Westling. We're going to take a quick break for two short messages, and when we return, we will try to solve more of Savannah's art problems. I don't know if we've solved any right now, but it's a good conversation. We will be right back after these messages. Art on the Air is brought to you by Starlandia Supply, located in the heart of the Starland District of Savannah at 2438 Bull Street. Starlandia Supply works to make art making more accessible to everyone by lowering the price of supplies through reclamation and trading. 
Starlandia helps customers recycle gently used art supplies and materials and also carries a fine selection of new materials, including Winsor Newton, Liquitex, Faber-Castle, Montana spray paints, and Copics. Moreover, Starlandia Supply is the only locally owned art store in Savannah. They're open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Sunday from noon to 6 p.m. More information can be found on Facebook by searching Starlandia Supply or at starlandiasupply.com. Shop local. Shop Starlandia Supply. WRUU 107.5 FM is a new and different listener-supported and all-volunteer community radio station for Savannah. Our diverse broadcast and web programming is supported by generous listeners who value our passion and spunk. We are independent of other media and receive no government or large corporate support. People like you are the largest and most important source of our funding. Go to WRUU.org to find out how you can make a one-time or monthly contribution. Thank you. All right, we are back live here in the studio. I wanted to mention we've got a couple of really great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to have Philip Davis in the studio on February 26th. I was really impressed with his work and what he had to say at the Freedom Now exhibition that recently took place over at the Cultural Arts Center. So I'm really glad to have him in the studio with me. And I'm working right now on getting a guest co-host as well. So it might be just him, but it might might have a guest co-host with him. Plus, I'm going to be airing a field note with Peter Roberts about his New York exhibition that he's got coming up at Blackbird Gallery. Plus, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what he's got going on over at Kobo Gallery. We're going to do the interview there. So we'll talk about his work there as well. And I'm really excited to announce here for the first time that on March 4th, I'm going to have a couple of the members of the Savannah Art Association in the studio to talk about their on-view residency over at Sulphur Studios, as well as the 100-year anniversary of their organization, which I think is really cool. And uh, I'm going to try to get them to just bring a whole bunch of their members here and just kind of run through everybody and make it a good time. So I think that'll be a lot of fun. Again, that's going to be on March 4th. And just a reminder, at the end of this episode, we're going to finish off with our field notes with Dana Richardson from the Jepson Center and Kate Green and Susie Hawkinson from Friendship Coffee Company about On the Line, an exhibition to highlight the world's refugee crisis. Let's get back to the in-studio guests that I've got this week, though. Aaron Wessling from W Projects, and we're talking about a number of different, well, Savannah-specific projects, uh, issues, and we're going to continue on with that with my sort of final note I wanted to talk to you about here before we, we finish our segment with three big questions, and that's about art shows here in Savannah and art events in general, because I think this works with all art events, including things like Judge Realty Projects and stuff, and that... The good about art shows in Savannah is that people show up. Mm. It's always crowded. Yeah, You know, I mean, the, the pictures of your CNU event, jam-packed, A-Town, Get-Town, totally full. The street fairs that, that Judge Realty has done with art projects are totally full. All of these exhibitions are really full. In fact, I went recently to the reception for Reclaimed at Sulphur Studios, yeah. which was a great exhibition, totally packed. Yeah, The bad... Not a single piece priced over $100 at the reclaimed exhibition sold. So it was completely full, entertained tons of people, beer and wine was served, as well as cheese, and nobody bought the work. And that's where 
that's the last sort of thing I wanted to talk about. How do we get people to be more supportive financially of the arts? Because as we talked a little bit about in funding, I think that that's, there's a, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to think about charging admission. That's what I'm starting to think yeah, about. Yeah, and you think about that frequently, particularly as it pertains to like A-Town or, or some of the events that we've done and, and how to charge, you know, because these things do cost money to produce. You right. are providing, you know, a, a, almost a service or, or an experience for people. And you inevitably hope that the funding will also come from the public itself. So you have these organizations and you have you know, some sometimes on, on, on a city level, this this financial support, but you also want the general public to. And that's always a tricky line because you want to do it so that, you know, it, it helps with, with budgets and, and making sure that, that it's a successful event so that it has, um, you know, a, a space to, to move forward and, and continue on what you're doing. But you also don't want to price it so that people fear are fearful that they can find something else to do. So that is always an issue that, you know, with the groups that, that I've worked in, how you price it accordingly. And it's a very interesting question as to why, you know, as you were saying, the the pieces that are 100 or less, why there is the notion that that value isn't like astronomically present, how beautiful and wonderful and what these people put into all of these pieces, it's insanely valuable. I obviously am a huge fan of art, so I find it to be one of the best things that you can place into your life. But how do you also educate, you know, the public to, to, to I guess, invest as well? And that's probably not a question I can necessarily um, I wish answer. I could, I wish I could like, I have in my house, okay, so I, I'm by no means like a wealthy person whatsoever. I mean, I'm like an average, ordinary, middle-class guy, but I we bought a number of art pieces over the years, and I have, I walk around my house, and it brings me so much joy. Like, oh, yeah. there's just like these line, the, the pieces, and I can, I know, you know, maybe I know the artist, or maybe I bought it like when I was a, like a, an original piece while like on a trip or something, and it's like, it's so much better than like some stupid poster from Michael's or like, <sighs> you know, something along well, those lines. And it brings me so much joy. And I wish I could teach people that somehow. Well, and, and you sort of want it to be almost instinctual when a piece of art, whether it's photography or a statue or, you know, a painting, when you allow it to move you, whether it's in detest or whether it's love and obsession, allow it. Mm. And let it sort of take you where it's supposed to go. Not every piece of art is going to be your take. But I can tell you in the same vein as you, I walk around my house and I just absolutely still love and am in awe of the pieces of art um, that we have. I, I mean, from a local level, I have Liz Winnell and Shay Slemmer and Catherine Sando and I... You have a more expensive art collection than I do, that's for sure. <laughs> well, you you, you definitely I wish I, earn... I wish I could afford a Shea Slammer piece. <laughs> well, and and trust Catherine me, Sando. in my in my realm, you definitely <laughs> put in a fair share of trade. And like when you want something, you will actually no, but find I mean, out I a way Je to get it. Yeah, I have Jennifer Moss and and Lisa Watson and and Stacey Albano. Like these people, you know, they're they're not at the sort of height of 
of you know they're not as known as as some of those artists that you mentioned but i but i mean it it the time it hasn't worn off it's not like i bought the thing and like oh that's just i'm tired of that thing now no, like it's really it, are it ages good well vested you know, in it so well, anyway, so that's, I guess, the advice that I would say is that, you know, you might it might look expensive, but I promise you it's going to bring you so much joy. And like, it. I mean, it just makes the forever it's joy so real, like it's so much more real than most of the other things we buy in life is mm-hmm. art is. So anyway, you should go buy some art. But go that's buy all art. the time that we have for our our normal segment. Let's talk, let's get into three big questions. And now it's time for three big questions with your host, Rob Hessler. But I didn't. Uh, all right, we're back here with three big questions here. And we're just, you know, you hear Aaron laughing there because we're just talking like with so much joy about this art, you know, that we own and everything like that. So it's. Uh, makes us giddy. <laughs> I know, it does make us giddy. So I've got three questions, and I think we'll start with. This one first, because it relates to what we've been talking about. What does the Savannah art scene look like in five years? Uh, <laughs> uh, God. Great in answer. five years? Do we need 10, you think? Yeah, I mean, five years, I hope that, that obviously um, it continues to grow and develop um, and that both on an individual and an organization level, it's supported um, and that there are more events, you know, more shows and, and more people buying art and, and getting the exposure. I think that's another thing is that arts are sort of seen as, as sort of, yes, an entertainment section. But these are very important issues that a lot of the artists are covering and trying to accomplish um, and that it should be understood on, on, on a math level. Ten years, I would love to see a piece of either temporary or semi-permanent large-scale structural piece of art just right in the center of like Forsyth or oh my gosh I mean I just want it crazy several officials just went went, went yeah, screaming no so like I I I almost always now and I always like driving down Bull but whenever I come downtown now I almost always drive Bull Street because I just want to drive by this the Starland Mural Project mm-hmm. I mean it just makes yeah. me happy and I happen to know I mean with this radio show I happen to know pretty much every artist that did pieces there and mm-hmm. so I just I'm like not only do I love it but I know those people and it just makes me so happy like if I could just drive down any street and have that experience that would be what I would love to see and well maybe that's 10 years but I can hope for five years. Yeah. A lot's happened in the last five years. Yes. Yes. So we'll see what happens. Okay. Let's get to question number two here. Let me see where I got these written here. What was your all-time favorite meal? For my father's 50th birthday, uh, we took him to St. Andrews, Scotland, and there was um, quite literally a restaurant on the side of the Caddyshack where my family had the best hamburgers. I'm not kidding. That we've ever had, and it was a beer, French fries, and the best hamburger to this date. We still talk about this meal because it surpassed most. I don't know what you know I want to say. There weren't a lot of cows in the area, <laughs> so I kind of didn't want to know what we were what we were looking at. But to this day, that was probably one of my best meals. That's a great answer because a lot of times it is the things you don't expect. I mean, little yeah. things like that. I, I have Who a... Who doesn't love beer and a hamburger and fries? There was this chicken and cider place that I went to. Like I think it was in Madrid like 
and I just remember it being so amazing, and I don't know why. Like it wasn't anything. Yeah, those, like, it, it was just like chicken and cider, and I just those surprises. Uh, I really good middle place. of Scotland just. Having the best burger of my life. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's a great answer. All right. Well, one more question here, and then we got to get to our community calendar before we air our field notes. Who is your favorite radio talk show host? Alice Cooper. I'm, sta- I'm sitting right here. I'm sorry. You're making it awkward. Rob Hessler, <laughs> first and foremost. Okay. Well, Alice Cooper could be. But second. Alice Cooper is. I'm sure he's amazing. <sighs> I had a celebrity sighting with him. I saw him in uh, in a an Italian restaurant one time he is he i mean he's a very talented human and i have loved his music and actually art for for years but he's very eloquent educated and just has got it as far as being a radio host is concerned wow i think we could go into a lot more there but we are out of time to with our chat with aaron westling today of w projects aaron thank you so much for coming on the show today i had a blast thank you so much i don't know if we solved anything but no we had we tried (laughs) some of that old savannah magic is coming up next if you're listening to the live show regardless however we're going to get to these back to back field notes No introduction in between them. You're just going to hear one, then you're going to hear the other one. Dana Richardson from the Jepson Center, Kate Green, and Susie Hawkinson from Friendship Coffee Company. Listen up. We'll talk to you next week where we'll have on Philip Davis. Rob Hessler here with Art on the Air Field Notes. I am with Dana Richardson. We are at the Jepson Center at 207 West York Street here in Savannah, and we are at her mural project. Tell us what you're doing here, Dana. Hi. Well, I just started two days ago a mural at the top of the stairs in the Jepson. So it's on the third floor landing. And as you come up the stairs, you will see a landscape that I've been working on. It is a... A landscape of painter, uh, the shadows of painters in Telfair Square. So I'm doing a a version of the landscape that's directly outside of the museum itself, which is something I've always been interested in, and like sort of like seeing something familiar, but then changing it with my own aesthetic. So it's um, Telfair Square. The mural is in tandem with a show that has just opened called Launching Savannah's Art Scene, and it's about painters in Savannah. So when Erin Dunn asked me to do it, it was very nice. She thought of a landscape painter, a local landscape painter that could do something up here. Awesome, yeah, and although it is a scene that's outside, right outside here, it's very different because it's using your palette, and people who know your work know that you have a very distinctive style. So Mm -hmm. maybe talk a little about your choices here Mm -hmm. of colors and everything that you're doing here with the piece. The title of the mural is Late Afternoon Near the Academy. I wanted it to have a feeling of, you know, the end of the day because I'm thinking about certain styles of painting that are kind of um, historic, like plein air painting and working from life. So sort of traditional art and how, where do we go from those traditions? So I still feel very rooted in traditional landscape painting, but it is, um, you know, keep, keeps moving forward with more of a contemporary aesthetic, I think. So, I mean, the way I choose the colors is its own sort of little game of picking the sky color and letting that be the filter that you see the, whole, the entire piece with. So I don't know. I mean, the way I pick colors has just kind of been a personal acceptance of my kind of, you know. Instinct developed over time. Yeah, it has. 
But also I will say I want people to look at my work and feel good. I try to make things balanced, straight, clear. I mean, a lot of the way I've painted has been sort of an antidote to sort of anxiety and depression and how can I make something that makes me feel good? What is the sort of medicine for this? And I want other people to feel good when they look at it too. Very nice. Well, let me ask you kind of take a step back here and how this all got started because most recently people might have seen your work, which is still up as part of the Starland Mural Project. And I thought, you know, having had seen your work over the last several years and your distinctive style, it was kind of cool to see it finally like all blown up and now here's this. So was there any sort of connection between those two projects, do you think here? And how did you sort of get in touch? How did Aaron get a hold of you and how did this all kind of work out? Well, I feel lucky that my style translates well to murals. That's just happened. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I, I got lucky with that. And when Erin saw the Starland piece and, we, and she said, you know, I think it translates well big. And I was excited about that. She asked me to do this next one. So, I mean, I, I have been painting little tiny pieces forever, but because, you know, not forever, like 10 years. And so to see them big has been really exciting and that they still work. So what's really cool about this space though is you can get really way far back from it. You can actually see part of it from that square through the windows. So it can get smaller and it gets bigger and bigger. That's very cool. Well, Dana, I really appreciate you giving us a couple of minutes here to talk about the piece. The Jepson Center is open Sunday and Monday from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. and Tuesday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And as far as you know, this is going to be up for the foreseeable future. Yes, it'll be here for a while. So I really hope people can come by while I'm working for the rest of the week, but also at any time. Very cool. Well, you've got this week then. This we're, we're airing this on Wednesday, so you better get over there if you want to see Dana working on it. But it will be up and complete for people to look at. Thank you, Dana, so much for coming on Thank the show today. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Rob Hessler here with Art on the Air Field Notes. We are at Friendship Coffee Company, and we are talking about the exhibition on the line, 25 Million Stitches. Kate, why don't you tell us what the project is all about? Sometime last summer, I had seen a post on social media about a woman, Jennifer Kim Song, out in Sacramento, California. She was doing an art installation called 25 Million Stitches, bringing to the awareness of people the plight of the 25 million refugees worldwide. She put the word out that she was doing this installation. Whether she originally was asking for help, who knows, but everybody bought into it. And many of us signed on wanting to stitch and support her art. You say many of us. Talk a little bit about that. Talk about your group because this isn't just you. This is a group of many artists. We started meeting probably in the early fall at my house for a couple days, a couple different times. It took a while to get off the ground of people wanting to commit a certain time to work on it. And at some point we decided to come to Friendship Coffee. And because it's such a welcoming, wonderful venue, a core group of us, about eight of us, keep coming back and sit and stitch together. We do a lot of sharing and we do, what's interesting about it is it is a meditative practice and we do think about the plight of these people who are way less fortunate than we are. Um, So it served its purpose, I think, for us. There's 
in Savannah itself, there are probably, there's 18 people whose work is displayed here. Two of those are from friends from out of town, but we consider them still part of the Savannah Low Country group. <laughs> we decided that the idea of on the line is using a simple clothesline, using simple wooden clothespins to pin them up. We stitched a couple together to kind of give some variety to the display of it. The fun thing about these stitching things, they're all kind of based on a 15 by 30-ish format on muslin. Muslin is a very affordable piece of fabric that anybody can find. Some people uh, contacted Jennifer in California and her organizations somehow had money to send off panels. Well, a lot of us bought the material wherever. Mm -hmm. And we all stitch however the spirit moves us as we're thinking about these refugees. I happened to take a class last, last summer in Sashko, which is a Japanese, usually white on indigo blue kind of stitching uh, but it's running stitches it's simple uh, some of it is pattern but it's very intricate it can be very intricate and it was fun to utilize that learning that i had just done to do the stitches i'm not really an embroiderer i'm a weaver and i'm a fiber artist of other things but it was fun to in incorporate that and it's fun to see them all hanging together and how different they are and uh, how some are just so colorful and full of stitches, some are more sparse, some have wandering lines, some have shapes, uh, some have words that are incorporated in the, in the stitching. Uh, Kate came up with a display of the panels that kind of go toward the center on the long wall and then the short wall that is visible from both sides of their shop as you enter. Well, I think what's really interesting too is that, you know, they're obviously it's very heavy subject matter and deep subject matter, and the pieces are pretty intricately done, but they're also like fun. I mean, it's like a nice thing to look at. I think that visitors to the exhibition won't feel like they're weighted down. Right. The, the right. work not, is like, not at you know? All. No. Not at all. No. Well, these people that are refugees have joyful moments. I mean, they have moments when they are in dire distress, but they're people. And I'm sure at certain times, they're joyful. They live colorful lives. Some of them, their native costumes are very, very colorful. So all that kind of plays into it. Yeah, the knowledge that these are people who have been forced for whatever reason from their home and are traveling to find a better life. And my hope is that we can help them with that eventually. I often think we don't grasp the enormity of being a refugee. For many of us, I think the simplest example I can give is the panic we go into when we need to evacuate for a hurricane. Mm -hmm. And not knowing if we're coming back, taking with us what's important to us, and not knowing if we're coming back. And 
That's okay. That's a very small, I don't want to minimize the plight of refugees, but they too may be evacuating from a natural disaster that has no end for them. Right. Well, if people are interested in getting more information about On The Line, 25 Million Stitches, and your group that you are all working together, how can people find more information about that? The main website is 25millionstitches.com. That's for the project that started out in California, and it has all the information. Locally here, we have established a social media presence mostly on Facebook. The name of that page is hashtag 25 million stitches space Savannah and Low Country. <laughs> but it comes up when you it comes when up. get 25 million stitches. Um, we will have these hanging here until March the 10th. What happens is oh, we're sending the them off to California to be part of this much larger exhibition, including, what, over 2,000, 3,000 stitchers from around the world that Jennifer has come up with a way to sew them together in long panels and display them so people can walk among them. They're going to debut on June the 5th at the Verge Center for the Arts in Sacramento, California. Well, that is very cool, yeah. and hopefully some of our Savannah locals will be able to see that, but if not, you can see what the Savannah and Low Country part of the 25 Million Stitches project has done over at Friendship Coffee Company at 205 Johnny Mercer Boulevard here in Savannah. They're open Sunday 8 to 4, Tuesday through Friday 7 to 5, and Saturday 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you all so much for being on our On the Air Field Notes today. Thank you. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Art on the Air with your host, Rob Hessler. Listen every Wednesday for our live show, broadcasting from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on 107.5 FM, Savannah Soundings, and worldwide at WRUU.org. And you can catch past episodes on the WRUU station archives on our website, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll talk to you next week, where we'll have another batch of art on the air.